But I want you to get your Bibles out, 2 Kings chapter 7. We're starting a new series this morning called Now, uh, right here, right now. We're going to take it through the rest of the month. Um, but in 2 Kings chapter 7, we see a picture of desperation, holy desperation, that, le- that leads to a sense of urgency. And I, I want to encourage us. I think urgency is the word of the hour. I feel the urgency because I see your smiling faces all throughout the week. Uh, and I see the new people God's bringing to us. And I wish I could just knock, knock out walls and put them up as fast as we could. But it doesn't work that way. It takes time, as you know. But there is an urgency that I want us to have in our hearts for what God is doing even right now in the earth. I challenged you a few weeks back before we got into the Easter holiday with a, a standalone message talking about now and about how important it is to seize divine moments. And I came across a quote that I'd like to read for you this morning because I think it really sets the stage for the hour in which we're living. Uh, In her book, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown shares uh, an interesting story, a discovery that she made after talking to a large, diverse crowd of top leaders. She said, we started our interviews with senior leaders with one question, and here's the question. What, if anything, about the way people are leading today needs to change in order for leaders to be successful in a complex, rapidly changing environment where we're faced with seemingly intractable challenges and an insatiable demand for innovation. There was one answer across the interviews. Out of all the people that she talked to, all these leaders, this was the one common denominator that they said was missing in the culture today. You ready for this? We need braver leaders and we need more courageous cultures. Braver leaders, more courageous cultures. Can I just tell you, I believe we're in a season right now when what has been exposed is not bravery and leaders and not courageous cultures. We've seen just the opposite. We've seen a paralysis over our nation. We've seen fear. We've seen many leaders that are afraid to stand up and make bold decisions. Many leaders that play it safe. They don't want to take any risk. Um, How many of you know that's not befitting to our king or to his kingdom? How many of you know when you're partnering with God, he calls us into bold faith? Amen? That's part of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It means that you are walking with somebody who's so much greater than you, who's a father to you, who has all the provision in the world, and he wants us to live in bold faith. It also means that the culture of the kingdom should be one of courage, that out of all the places on planet earth, when you come among, amongst God's people, there should be a tangible sense of courage in the place, not cowardice, not fear, not reticence, not play it safe but courage among God's people. I mean, this, this should be like common sense. This is the kingdom. Every time you see the king and his people, they're moving in bold faith. Not, now, please hear me. Not that we don't struggle with unbelief and fear at times. Anybody with me on that? That's why we need each other. That's why we need to come together. That's why we need to sit under the word. That's why we need to get lost in the presence of the Lord. We need to be around courageous people because courageous people inspire courage in other people. That's why I'm very careful about who I hang with. That's why I pick you guys to hang with, all right? I don't want to hang with, with chickens. You know, King Saul never killed a giant. But David killed giants. And you know what? The men who hung with David killed giants. But King Saul never killed any, and neither did the men that hung with him. I want to be hanging out with giant killers. I want to be hanging out with people that believe God. I want to be hanging out with people that are constantly throwing gasoline on the fire of my faith. How about you? That's the kind of people I want to hang with. I believe that life is really the sum total of what we did with the moments that were given to us. Every one of us has been handed moments. Right now, we're we're living today in a moment. You can make great choices, or you can make really poor choices. Friday night, I chose lobster bisque. (laughs) Bad choice. 
Now, I chose it naively. I had no knowledge that it was a bad choice, but in hindsight, bad choice. How many of you know we can make bad choices in our lives? Sometimes we take years to recover from that, but aren't you grateful that the mercy of God is still there to fix our, even our bad choices? But you know what? We make good choices, and good choices change our destiny forever. How many of you know every choice that's in agreement with what God is saying and what God is doing is a great choice and you'll never go wrong agreeing with God? So I want to encourage you, let's keep agreeing with God. Let's keep making great choices. I share with you again a few weeks ago, the opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. We only have a certain opportunity, a certain window, and, and you have to reach out in faith and grab that opportunity. I was looking out this morning at men that uh, had decided, you know what, I'm going to go off into business on my own. Uh, and, uh, and it took faith, and it took courage, because it's scary, and some of them, if they could have, in hindsight, uh, been aware of COVID and all that we went through with that, it probably would have scared them right out of that decision, but how many of you know, thank God, he keeps us in the dark half the time, because we talk ourselves out of a great opportunity. How many of you know, every new change of life, every new change of season, every new opportunity is an opportunity to seize a moment, and when you seize that moment, it changes your whole future. We are in a moment right now as a church family. I'm speaking to you on multiple levels today. I'm speaking to you personally about what's going on in your life, but I'm also speaking to us corporately about what God's trying to do here. And I believe we're in a season of holy urgency to be about our Father's business. And I, I believe this as well. Leadership is really about bringing urgency to the things that matter the most. If you're leading your family, how many of you know you gotta, you got to focus on what's most important to what's going on in your home life right now? Urgency says I'm going to make the most important things uh, the most important. I'm going to be priority in my life. So as spiritual leadership, what are we doing? We're having to say what is God doing right now and how do we want to make sure that we keep up with what the Holy Spirit is doing with us? So in 2 Kings chapter 7, I want to give you a little backdrop here. This is a desperate season, a desperate time. Uh, God's people are under siege. They're surrounded. Uh, there's a famine inside the city. People are starving to death. People are committing all kinds of horrific acts of cannibalism and everything else. I mean, this is about as bad as it can possibly be. And here's the sad part, is, there, is they're being led by wicked leaders. I mean, you know, God's people should never be in, a, in that situation. God's people should never be under siege. God's people should never be starving to death. That was not the covenant God made with his people. In fact, he said, you're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be the victor, not the losers. You're going to be the ones that have more than enough. You're going to be a blessing to the nations around you. I mean, you know, God's desire for God's people is that God's people prosper. Four of you believe that. You better get this in your heart. God's desire for God's people when they walk with God and they obey his commandments is for God's people to prosper so that they can be a blessing and be a testimony in all the earth. So what's going on here is a tragedy because the judgment of God is on his people. But I want you to hear this. Even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of wickedness, God is so incredibly merciful. And man, we sang about it this morning. I, I don't know how you could have a dry eye in the house this morning. All these songs about the goodness of God, submitting to God, wanting to move the heart of God, just that he's not ever going to leave us forsaken. You're never going to be alone. You're never going to be abandoned. Anybody excited about those truths? But these are more than just truths to sing about. This should put like steel in our spirits. When you sing this, it makes you stand up straight. It makes you lift your head. It makes the shame fall off your life. It makes you look like a son or a daughter in the Most High's presence. And you begin to release because your heart begins to trust. You begin to open up your heart. And you begin to fall in love with the goodness and kindness of God.
And the goodness and kindness makes us want more. And we keep going back and forth to where we want to truly waste all of our lives on the Lord. And I use that term waste in uh, hypotheticals because we know what we mean there. We are extravagant lovers of Jesus. Extravagant lovers of Jesus. You know, there are people that right now, even in America, how many of you know we're, we're a wicked nation right now? What we're doing. We're, we're a wicked nation with wicked policies and we're having wicked outcomes and we're having wicked things we're promoting. But can I just tell you something? In the midst of our darkest hour, God will never leave us or forsake us. And there are people that are willing to write the United States off and say, you know, we're you know, going down the giant toilet bowl of history uh, and God's judgment, blah, blah, blah. Listen to me. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's the mercy of God always moving around, just waiting for an opportunity to speak life and hope and blessing and repentance. And I am not a doom and gloomer I believe that no matter what we're walking through as a country God's church is the best solution the best answer the greatest hope we are we are captivated by the goodness of God and in the midst of this mess that they got themselves and I want you to see this the prophet Elisha speaks the word of the Lord in 2 Kings chapter 7 verse 1 listen to this message from the Lord he says this is what the Lord says. Now, we should be, I uh, see these ladies down here. When, anytime, thus saith the Lord, or the scriptures being declared, this should be our posture right here. Yes, Lord. We are ready to write. We are ready to listen. We are ready to hear. We are ready to obey. Everybody know what I'm talking about. When you hear, thus saith the Lord, your ears should, pe should perk up. Something important is about to come down. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow... In the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. How many of you know this is a promise in the midst of a dreadful, desperate situation that God's going to do two things? Number one, their enemies are going to be routed and destroyed, removed. And number two, there's going to be a drastic reversal in the economic well-being of, of the area, of the city, of the people, like that. I mean, by this time tomorrow, boom, that's quick. This should have been a cause of rejoicing. The king, who is a wicked king, should have fallen on his face and said, God, how can you be so merciful to such a wicked people? But you know what? That's not what happened. But I want you to see, I want you to hear this. God is speaking to a people even now. God is speaking to his church now. God has spoken through his word. We have the promises of God. How many of you know there's always the goodness of God interspersed with whatever it is that we're going through in our lives? And if you will listen and you will see, you'll see the deliverance of God, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, always available to us. Now look at what happened, and this is tragic. Look at what happened in verse 2. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen. How many know that's a bad way to respond to the word of the Lord? That couldn't happen, even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, oh, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Now, this is huge. When God tells you something, I don't care how big it is, how outlandish it is, how crazy it is, how out of sorts it is, how abnormal it is, you better believe it because God's bigger than your biggest dream on your best day. And when God tells you he's going to reverse something and do a miracle, your response shouldn't be, that couldn't happen. 
How many of you know we serve a God who can do anything he wants? We serve a God who's incredibly powerful, and most of the time he's just simply looking for one thing, agreement. Agreement on the earth. He's looking for some group of people that will, when he says something, he'll say, yes, Lord, so be it. That's what he's looking for. But I want you to show, show you what happens with unbelief. You're going to see it, but you won't eat it. The world is full of naysayers. The world's full of cynics. The world's full of jaded people. The world's, the world's full of, of, of people that are like, you know, pessimists, all right? That's their gift, their spiritual gift. I'm a pessimist. No, that's not in the Bible, by the way. But the church is full of pessimists. That's their gift. Critical people, negative people, naysayers. Can I just tell you this? I pray it's not any of you. Anytime anybody steps out in bold faith to do something that will require faith and require sacrifice, you'll always have wah, 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 wah. Be careful. You'll see it but you won't eat it. You'll see it, but you won't eat it. There are people that look around at other people and look at the blessing of other people's lives or they look at the, uh, you know, the radical commitment somebody else has and they do this. And you know what? Then they wonder, why doesn't God do that for me? Why doesn't God do that for me? Because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. Because you looked at what God said, and here's what you did. You, you said, yeah, but. You said, that's true in most situations, but it, not for me, here's why. And you know what? Every time you do that, you put yourself outside of the camp, not because God doesn't want you inside of the camp, but because, ready for this, God's just looking for people that will love him and honor him and believe him and walk with him and take what he says is true and fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight for the promises of God in your life. Fight for the freedom in your life. Fight for everything the cross promised. Fight to be part of what God's doing in the earth today. That that's the last thing we would want to do is miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. He's even saying, did you notice this little phrase? That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. What he's saying is, if all of heaven opened up and God gave us his best, wouldn't be enough. God has, God has so much in his little back room store closet, you know, this tiny little closet to overwhelm our greatest needs on planet earth. Are you kidding me? What arrogance to suggest. And, and can I just say something? Elisha, I love Elisha. Elisha, the man of God who's going to the wicked king and warning the wicked king that his enemies are going to strike at this place at this time, so don't go there. So Elisha shows up, thus saith the Lord, so-and-so is going to strike right here this time. Be good if you stayed away from there. And sure enough, those guys show up and they're like, there's a spy who's giving out this information. Remember that? Somebody's telling our secrets. Which one of my trusted advisors is lying? Which one of you is a spy? No, none of us are a spy. It's that guy, Elisha. He walks with God. He's a prophet. God tells him the secrets of our meetings. That's the prophet that's speaking. And this guy's going, oh, no, if God opened up his storeroom, there wouldn't be enough. Do you know the other place in the Bible where God talks about the, the, uh, the storeroom of heaven? How about Malachi chapter 3? God says, prove me in this. Test me in your giving. Put me first. Give me my tithe. And watch and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven, Right? And pour you out a blessing that's so great, you're not even going to be able to contain it. 
Now, can I just pause right here? This is not in my notes. I'm just freewheeling here, four-wheeling, something-wheeling. I'm, I'm delirious from lobster bisque. Bear with me this morning. <laughs> Don't get me started. My mom starts giggling, and then the whole service goes. <clears throat> I shared my plight with my mother. I, I went into graphic detail, and she's laughing on the other end of the phone at her son's plight, all right? But, it, but we sure. All right. Okay, Pick, I, I, I just, we just got done criticizing this person, right? The prophet says this. He says God couldn't do that if he tried. There's not enough resources if he tried. Isn't that what he said? And we go, you know where I'm going with this. God said, prove me. And watch if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on your life. You can't contain it. And we go, yeah, but um, that's in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Do we believe that there are storehouses in heaven that are filled with everything that we need as God's people to carry out the plan and the purpose that God has for our life? Then why in the world would we not latch a hold of that promise and believe God? And if God Almighty says, prove me. God's back, prove me. Why would we not take up one greater than Elisha is speaking? His name is God Almighty. He's greater than Elisha. Prove me, says the Lord, to be a liar. Prove me. That sounds like a, a bet right there. That sounds like the Lord saying, come on, I dare you. And I'm telling you, unbelief shrinks back, but faith says I'm going for it. And faith says I'm going to watch and look back, and instead of the N-O-W, it's going to end up being W-O-N because I'm going to see the victory of the Lord in my situation. Let's not be mired in unbelief and in fear. Now, I want you to see something here. Look at the divine method that God uses in verses 3 and 4. There were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. And look at the way they think. All right, this is some good thinking. Why would we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, starve if we stay here with the famine in the city. We will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. And if they let us live, so much better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. How many of you know God's ways in accomplishing God's business are not the way we would do it? We would not look for four lepers who weren't even allowed to be in the city because they were unclean. They had to be sitting at the gates of the city. Uh, they were out there hanging out, waiting to die. But everybody, get, check this out, everybody else was inside the city waiting to die. And they started thinking, you know what? We're going to die if we sit here. We're going to starve to death. But if we go face our enemy, two things can happen. They'll have mercy on us or they'll kill us. Now, how many of you know if I had a choice between how to die, I would choose execution over starvation any day. It's quicker. In fact, I would choose execution over food poisoning any day. I mean, those, <laughs> those two are really close. If I want to go through misery, I would like it to be short-lived. So they start thinking, and can I just tell you, when you're in a desperate season, you start thinking correctly. Can I encourage you, desperation is a friend of ours. In fact, I'll say that no matter how blessed God ever blesses you with provision, stuff, he still wants you to live to where you need to depend upon him, which means you take what he's given you, and you're a steward of it, which means, trust me, 
He's never having you build bigger silos to hold your stuff. Never let the blessing of God lull you to sleep to where you don't need intimacy with the Lord, where your prayer life is not passionate. Can I tell you, when you're sitting on the throne and you're holding a bucket and and you're wanting to die, my prayer life was off the charts. (laughs) Regular, consistent, intense. Please, Father, mercy, mercy, mercy. I feel it still when I say mercy. It hurts in my stomach right here. My stomach's still hurting with the strain of my abdomen, all right? My six-pack was at its limit, all right? (laughs) I feel most alive, and you do too, when we're dependent upon God. And there's a sense of desperation. When you're having to believe God, when you're praying, you know, Rodney shared yesterday, how do you lead a kingdom business? When you're praying in the right people, you're praying in resources, you're praying for this situation, whatever it is, you pray, you pray, why are you praying? Because your life depends on it. I'm wanting to challenge you with me this morning, can we please pray for the grace of God to live our lives like like, it, like, like our lives dependent on it, like dependent on him, that people depend on us, like our lives matter. Like there's a sense of urgency about the hour in which we're living. So God takes four people that are going to die a slow death, and, and he says, you know what? Why don't you guys go out and just test the waters? Test the waters. Can I just tell you, there are people that literally have lost over a year of their lives because what they thought was a place of safety was really a prison robbing them of divine opportunity and divine moments. Isn't it amazing? All these people are starving to death in a place that they thought was a place of refuge, a place of security, hiding from their enemy, and at the same time, they're starving to death. Their place of refuge was really a prison cell. How many of you believe your life is immortal till God's purposes with you are through? How many of you believe God knows the beginning of your days from the end of your days? God knows when you are going to die. Isn't this the Bible? This gives us an incredible advantage because what it says is, I have a beginning that was founded and created by God, and God knows my days, and I have an ending that is also as sure as God is sure, and as sure as my beginning was sure, I have an ending. How many of you know that gives me a moment called life? And if I see it right and I understand it correctly, that means I can put the pedal to the metal and live on go and hit the gas and I can go do some incredibly awesome things with the Lord because he knows my beginning and he knows my end and I truly believe I'm immortal until he's done with me. One man believes that, all right. This is the gospel. You're freed from the fear of death. You're free to live. Some people spend all their lives running from death instead of focusing on living life for the glory of God. And I'll tell you what, some of you can see this. You can go 10 minutes that direction, and you're like in in Mars. You're in another place. There is a spirit over certain places. It is like a deception. It is a strong fear and hysterical kind of thing where people are out of their minds. You can feel it. This is not becoming for God's people. 
This is an embarrassment for God's people. We don't act this way. We move forward. We move in faith. We provide answers. We provide solutions. We trust God. We move ahead in courage. We're brave. Am I talking to the right crowd here? So you don't sit back. You don't sit back and go, you know what? Let's just hide out in the city here, man. Try not to die. You're already dying. What's happening to you? You lost your sense of passion, your sense of hope, your sense of connecting with other people. Come on. Come on. Some people, 365 days of their life, gone. Never to be recaptured. You know what we've been doing for the last 365 days? Hugging people, loving people. Spit coming out of my mouth every Sunday on you guys. We're singing, so- singing songs. Oh my gosh, we're singing songs. Are you kidding? Yes, we're, we're worshiping God, the creator of life. Come on, come on, come on. Challenging you guys. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, God's looking to make a name for himself in the earth. It's called his glory. God's always looking to maximize his glory. I'm just asking you a question. In a year when some people in some churches are looking to survive, we're expanding. We are moving forward. And I'm saying, this is not a testimony of we. This is a testimony of a God who's looking to show off. Please hear me. I mean this. God is looking to show off. God wants to do everything that's counterintuitive. God wants to do things that nobody else is doing. Who in the world would go out and stick their necks out and try to expand when we don't know all the economic uncertainty? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Are we going to have COVID round two? Oh, my gosh. Are we going to have to wear hazmat suits wherever we go? What's going to be happening? Holy cow. Oh, my gosh. Why don't we? Here's what we do know. I know God. How about you? I know the promises of God. I know the purposes of God. I know the agenda of God. I know the burden in our, in our nation and our desperate need for God. I know where the, where the thing is, tr- the trajectory of where we're headed, and I know what's in store for my kids and my grandkids if something doesn't happen and the church doesn't wake up and partner with God. Are you kidding me? We have enough knowledge right now to move forward totally in the face of, this, of the most strong wind and moving in the purposes of God and watch stuff spring up here that's going to be a blessing for my kids, for your kids, for the generations to come, and we're going to be providing solutions and answers. We're going to have our property, our building, our agenda. We're essential. We're going to keep moving forward. This is a place of life. This is a place of hope. This is a place of healing. This is a place of supernatural prosperity. This is the way we roll. This is our tribe. We are the people of God. This is our now moment. This is what God's looking to do. All we need to do is agree. Yes, Lord. That's what we do. And if God can use four cursed lepers outside of the city 
They were so cursed they wouldn't even let them in the city where everybody's starving to death anyway and disease and everything else. The lepers are outside. Talk about a bunch of moralists, all right? Lepers outside. But they had a moment. They said, you know what? Let's go. What do we got to lose? And they took off on their journey. In fact, I want you to see what it says next. Look at verse 5. At twilight they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. I want you to circle in your notes or your Bible, however it says it, but I want you to look at that phrase, when they set out. How many of you know God always looks for us to take a step? Have you ever found that to be the case? God drops something in your heart. Maybe it's a dream, a vision, something that uh, he stirs your spirit about something. Maybe it's a name of a person that you're supposed to call. I don't know what it is, but you get an impression from the Holy Spirit. And then how many of you know now the ball's in your court? If you don't act, God doesn't move. And I wonder how many times we've been guilty of accusing God, like, where are you, God? Why aren't you here? And God's saying, why is there no urgency in your life? Why won't you pursue what I've dropped into your spirit? Why don't you go after it? Why don't you take that step of faith? You know, that's what we're doing right now. We're We're just taking a step of faith. Pastor Ron, where's this going? I'm not sure. I'm taking one step at a time. Pastor Ron, how are we going to pay for this building? I don't know. I guess that's why you're here, to help us out. But can I just say something? I never worry about that stuff. I said this before jokingly, but it's true. God got us into this mess. And I don't think he's done. So we say, well, this is the high water mark of our ministry here. Nope, it's just begun to rain. It's just begun to rain. Come on, it's just begun to rain. What do you think the Lord has in store for his people? And do you think God is done? Absolutely not. I think it's exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But you got to step out. These men stepped out. They came to the camp. No one's there. For the Lord had caused the airman army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots to hear the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. And the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. And look at verse 7. So they panicked and they ran into the night, abandoning their tents and their horses, their donkeys, everything else, as they fled for their lives. This is so awesome. How many of you know the Lord, I believe, did a miracle like he did in the chapter before? You remember when Elisha was surrounded by an entire army. They finally figured out, check this out, their greatest enemy was a prophet that didn't have a single weapon other than God. The whole army surrounds Elisha and his servant. They get up for breakfast, have a little coffee, break out the Living Stones coffee mugs, (laughs) crack open their Bibles, and the servant looks out and goes, oh my gosh, what in the world? Imagine Chariots, horses everywhere. Elisha's just chilling out. How do you know when, you, when you've walked with your father and you've seen the faithfulness, you don't have to freak out about life. You just take a deep breath, get perspective, and you keep moving on. So Elisha says, I'm paraphrasing, Father, help, help the brother out, all right? He's got to open his eyes and let him see. And you know what happened? 
He opened his eyes. The Lord opened his eyes. He saw on the hills all around them chariots, horses, an angelic army. I mean, an awesome display that made this human army look so little. What did God do here? I think God opened the eyes of the enemy to see the same picture. And what did they do? They freaked out. They ran for their lives. Can I ask you a question? I don't know what you're going through right now, personally, but what do you see? What do you hear? See, here's my point. We could ask the Lord to open our eyes supernaturally and see what they saw, and I'm sure God can do that, and God does those things. But here's my point. I've already read of two accounts where God showed us what the reality already looks like. What's going on over the top of Livingstone's church this morning and everywhere else in the world where God's people are gathered? I think there's angelic armies. I think there's, I think there's chariots of fire. I think there's imposing beings that are so powerful that if one of them showed up, we'd all be wet in our pants. I mean, that's the, that's the way it is. When we start worshiping Jesus, every demon in this region takes a hike and takes off running. When God's people get together, are you kidding me? Every demon in hell freaks out. We just talk about expansion. I'll tell you what's going on in hell right now. They're ticked off. They are ticked off. How dare the church? I mean, you know, the devil had an agenda to shut the church down for the last year. I've, yeah, I've, t- I've talked to people that haven't been in church for over a year. And you know what? Good things aren't happening. Their marriages are under stress. Their families are under stress. Emotionally, they're not doing well. Sometimes financially they're not doing well. Over a year. I think the devil was rejoicing. All of a sudden, you know what? He was, here's, here's what the Lord was looking for. Do we have any leadership with bravery? And is there, is there a, a, a congregation with courage? Remember how he started this message? Bravery and courage, two things that are missing. The Lord says, I can hang out with those people because that's who I am by nature. That's who God is by nature. So God's just looking for agreement. But when God finds agreement, he can do incredible things. I think we just basically this morning, you know, we got this wonderful army of, of uh, middle school girls up here. You guys looked scary, man, intimidating. <laughs> awesome. Big muscles. No. Middle school girls. Now. Waving the banner. You know what hell's doing? Freaking out. Because God, you guys are not four lepers, you're four beauties, all right? Four beauties, got a whole row of beauties. No, four beauties that are just saying, you know, agreeing with us, let's move forward. Let's take some more land. Let's believe God. Uh, that's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of army the Lord raises up. Scary, intimidating, awesome army, full of the Holy Ghost. That's the kind of army the Lord raises up. Let me end with this, because you guys are talking way too much this morning, all right? I'm going to end with the last part here. I'm going to talk about divine provision. Look at 2 Kings 7, verse 8. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after the other, eating and drinking wine. These guys were party animals. They've been starving to death. They are party animals. They carried off all the silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. Now, here's what I want to drop into your spirit this morning. I believe that if we will take a step of faith... We're calling that the now campaign. We're going to take a step of faith together. We're going to believe God to enlarge our borders, all right? I believe we're going to see that the battle's already been fought for us. The victory's already been won. I believe there's an abundance of provision waiting for us. 
And all God's waiting for is for us to really act as if our lives and our choices matter. You know, here's what I want you to see. Like, here we are at this moment in history. What do we do as a church family? We are busting out at the seams. Does anybody have a vision to reach more people? Like a lot more people. Does anybody have a vision to train our next generation of young people in the ways of the Lord? Does anybody have a vision that we, we're still having like people get married no matter what's going on in the call? Like, like if you go to this church and you want to get married, we'll marry you. If you're at this church and you still want to get together and play volleyball, we'll let you. I'm just, I could keep going and have a lot of fun with this, but I'm going to stop right there. All right. In other words, we're going to be essential until Jesus comes. I think the world is looking for places like that. I think the world, is, I heard that yep over there. Come on. Charlie, I've been looking for it. I just had it, yeah. You keep yepping. Come on. Yep. I might, get you, I might get you down here with these glory girls. You can yep and they can take notes, all right? So here's my point. So, so what do we do with this moment? We have a corporate moment. What do we do? I say we take that banner. We stake out our ground. We believe God. The world's looking at all kinds of uncertainty. The world's filling us with, trying to fill us with hysteria unbelief but we're going to move forward with courage and boldness people are going to think you're more weird than they've ever thought you to be weird it's a compliment it's a compliment we're going to be god's people we're going to live like free people like free men and women we're going to fight battles together we're going to fight for our nation together we're going to fight for liberty and justice for all together all those good things that we are part of we're going to fight for life together we're going to fight to free our nation together. We're going to fight for the nations of the world together. And you know what? We're going to win, and we're going to win, and we're going to win over and over and over again because that's the way the Lord rolls. Come on. It says here, finally, and that's a good word for now. Finally, verse 9, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone if we wait till morning some calamity will certainly fall upon us come now let's go back and tell the people at the palace and that's exactly what they did here's the irony of this story and i'll close with this you got four lepers whose greatest ambition in life was just simply to survive anybody know people like that there are people you know leprosy was a picture of sin of of depravity of our need for a savior how many of you have ever been a leper before right we're all lepers right we're all lepers most people get up and their goal in life is just to survive. How many of you know that should never be the case for God's people? We're not just trying to survive. We are thriving. We are life givers. Who would have thought that God would take four guys that were the most despised outcasts of their entire culture, dying of a debilitating disease, eating their flesh away each day, starving to death on a losing army in a, in a war in the middle of a famine? And God takes those four guys, brings them into supernatural abundance. They become the rich benefactors who free an entire city and save the entire city. Only God can write stories like this. So here's my point. Like, who are we? The more we feel like nobodies and little people that dependent upon God, the greater crazy stuff he can do through us. 
because he likes to do stuff like this. When you're a big somebody and you're, you know, you're, the, you're the man or whatever, we just limit God. But if we stay little, can I just tell you, lobster bisque on a, on a throne all night, hugging a can, reminds you of how little you are. I was just like, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this lesson. I, re- I receive it with gratitude. And I know full well, I am nothing apart from you. <laughs> A tiny little lobster is killing me right now. <laughs> A probably two-week-old lobster is killing me right now. I say that halfway tongue-in-cheek, but I do appreciate the lean times, the rough times, because they remind us of how much we need the Lord. And I'll tell you what, life feels so good today. I'm so glad to be alive today. I'm so grateful for all that God's doing in my life. I'm a happy man today. Um, but, it, it, but these are the good reminders, are they not? His mercy, his kindness, his healing power. Healing power. I'm alive and well. Hallelujah. We have faith for you to be alive and well as well. My life matters when I act like it actually depends upon my life and that my life matters when I'm a life giver and I give away my life to other people. And that's really what I feel like the Lord is asking us. Let's live like our lives matter. Let's live with a sense of urgency. Let's live with a sense of bold faith and courage. And let's believe God together. You know what? I love seeing the outside of that building, but I'll just say this. I've already seen the inside of that building in here. I've already worshiped in that building. I've already seen, you know, did you see all those people walking outside? Did you recognize yourself? Don't say yes, because it wasn't you. It was, it was new people that will be coming on our grand opening. I've already seen that preschool kids area full of bustling with kids every Sunday that we're ministering to. Uh, over 200 now, every, 200 little kids every week we're ministering. I mean, that's a legacy right there. That's incredible. So, uh, Amen. So stand to your feet. I got to get you guys out of here. That's another thing I never want to say. Got to get you guys out of here. Hey, what do you say we just believe God together? What do you say right now? Let's just fresh surrender corporately to whatever God's wanting to do now. Now, now, now. What are you doing, Lord, now? We want to agree with you, Father. So, Lord, fill us with faith and confident hope in you. Thank you, God, for provision. Lord, we're going to step out. We're believing on the other side of our stepping out. You're going to lead us in everything that we need, and you're going to defeat every enemy of ours in advance. So we thank you for victory. We just declare we won. We won, we won, we won. We thank you for it, Lord. I pray that victory over every person here and whatever things they're struggling with this morning. Give them victory. Let them have eyes to see all the resources of heaven surrounding them right now. We bless you. We love you. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We're grateful to be part of your family and grateful to be on your team. Now, Lord, establish a name for yourself in the earth. Glorify your great name and do it through your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.